What does it mean to experience a deadly epidemic? In recent months, people have struggled with this question, but it's not a new question. Welcome to Experiencing Epidemics podcast. We are Gaspar Jakovac, Jorge Diaz Ceballos, and Ian Hathaway. And we want to explore this question as historians by delving into personal narratives drawn from the long history of people's encounters with epidemics. We do so thanks to the contributions of scholars based at the European University Institute and beyond. This project is brought to you as part of the COVID-19 Knowledge Hub of the European University Institute. Enjoy the show. Hello everyone, Happy New Year and welcome to a new episode of Experiencing Epidemics. My name is Jorge Diaz Ceballos and today we will discuss Renaissance discourse linking plague and civil war as the two most dangerous threats to society. Our guest today, Clement Gottbarg, is currently fellow at Harvard's Villa Itati in Florence and the Barbour Institute in London. With a PhD from New York University, his research has evolved around medical rhetoric and its connections with political discourses in Renaissance Europe. He is currently working on a book about the medical professions in that period. Today, we will hear and discuss with Clement some passages from Filippo Cabriana's Discorsi sopra i primi cinque libri di Cornelio Tacito, published in Pisa in 1597. Cabriana was a fascinating character, an Italian physician and political, and political spy in the court of France during the 16th century. He wrote extensively about the connections between plague and war. Welcome, Clement, and thank you very much for being with us today. Hello, Jorge, and thanks for having me. Before listening to our first script, why don't you tell us something more about Cabriana and the political and social context of his writings? Uh, sure. Um, Filippo Cabriana uh, was a physician from Mantua. Today, uh, Mantua is a small town in northern Italy, but back in the 16th century, it used to be a major Renaissance center, uh, notably thanks to its ruling family, the Gonzaga. Filippo's father, Antonio Cavriana, um, was the personal doctor and a close confidant of a prominent figure of this family, Ercole Gonzaga, who was a, a prince of the church, that is to say, a cardinal, but he was also a secular prince since he ruled Mantua as a regent for many years. And so Antonio Cavriana's son, Filippo, um, 
grew up in an environment in which, um, in which medicine, court life, um, and also diplomacy were all closely connected. Filippo um, followed um, rather predictably uh, his father's path. He studied medicine in Padua and in Bologna, and he eventually got hired to serve in the French branch of the Gonzaga family as the personal doctor of another prince, Ludovico Gonzaga Nevers, or for the French speakers, uh, Louis de Gonzague Nevers. He worked at the court of France uh, for more than 20 years. And there, little by little, he managed to build his reputation, both um, as a doctor, but also as a courtier. He became, uh, in particular, um, the personal doctor of a um, very powerful woman uh, at the court, such as Elizabeth of Austria, uh, the Queen of France, um, Christine of Lorraine, uh, the future Grand Duchess of uh, Tuscany, and at some point also Catherine de' Medici, uh, the Queen Mother of France. Now, the, the reason I'm dropping all these names is that uh, Cavriana used his position as a court physician uh, to basically spy on his patients. And so, for over 20 years, uh, Cavriana maintained a secret correspondence with uh, the Grand Dukes of Tuscany, letters which are now stored in the archives of Florence, and which not only provide a first-hand testimony of the French wars of religion, but also an original assessment of this major political crisis. Cavriana then spends um, more or less the last 15 years of his life in Pisa under the protection of the Grand Dukes. And there he teaches medicine uh, at the university. And it is during those final years that Cavriana writes the Discorsi sopra i primi cinque libri di Cornelio Tacito, a very lengthy book where he develops many of the ideas he defended in his correspondences. Perhaps I should say a few words about the French wars of religion. That would be awesome. <laughs> it's going to take me some time, so I'll try to be as concise as possible. Um, let's just say that it's a, a very long conflict which lasts for more than uh, 35 years and which opposes uh, basically two parties. On the one hand, uh, the Protestant party, um, a party that we know in French as the Huguenot, and on the other side, um, the uh, intransigent Catholic party, which does not uh, tolerate the presence of heresy in the Kingdom of France. Um, the important thing to, uh, to, um, to remember here is that each of these parties are led by members of the French nobility by princes of the blood, that is to say, princes who um, could become potentially the next king in France. Um, these parties are also um, supported, as it is uh, often the case in civil wars, by foreign powers. And in this case, when it comes to uh, the Protestant party, uh, they are supported by the Queen of England, Elizabeth. And on the other side of the spectrum, 
um, the Catholic party is uh, supported by uh, the King of Spain, Philip II. So Cavriana, as a member of the court and as an Italian, he is uh, very clearly um, in the Catholic part uh, of this conflict. But he does not uh, subscribe to the ideas of the intransigent party. He is much closer to a, another party, which I did not talk about before, um, which is called the party of the politique. The politique. I think that um, social peace and the authority of the king is ultimately more important than uh, religious matters. Okay, so he was kind of a pragmatic. Yeah, we could say that. We could say that. Um, he was certainly um, more interested in uh, the conditions for a durable peace in the realm of France. If men were at liberty to choose for themselves a punishment for their own sins, one of those scourges with which the most just and loving God, our Father, is able to punish us in all places, I would hold that the plague is less damaging for a country than civil war, since the latter may be regarded as an infernal fury and a biting Cerberus, devouring and destroying every city and every kingdom. Medical metaphors were common in Renaissance political discourse, and plague was a common rhetorical expression. But what about the comparison between civil war and plague? Was it also frequent? Well, they were very frequent. They were frequent during the Renaissance and even before. And they usually tend to justify uh, violent, painful political solutions. Uh, we often read in discourses of the time um, about extirpation of political evils, of amputations. Um, Niccolò Machiavelli, for example, is also famous for using terms like the medicine forti, mm -hmm. the strong medicines that are necessary to achieve a political objective. Uh, many statesmen seem to be fascinated by doctors' ability to make their patients accept um, difficult and painful treatments. Even today, in fact, you, you can hear politicians using medical metaphors to justify um, unpopular measures. But it's not uncommon lately to hear economists uh, talk about austerity cures, for example. Now, comparisons with civil war are also frequent, even though not in these exact terms. The great poet Ariosto, for example, um, refers to discord as the most damaging plague of realms. And the other way around is true. Um, Leonardo Fioravanti, a very eloquent doctor from Bologna in the 16th century also, um, used to describe the plague as, a, as an internal discord of humors inside the body. Um, a physiological civil war of some sort. 
The parallels between plague and discord are present, I think, also because the plague is considered to be, along with uh, famine, external wars, um, they are the worst calamities in society. Hmm. And in fact, it's a very, very frequent commonplace to um, uh, enumerate uh, those calamities uh, together in any sort of discourses, not only political, but also uh, very often uh, religious discourses. And I think um, that someone like Filippo Cavriana, who is a, a keen uh, student of rhetoric, um, is well aware of that. And so what he does in his book and also in his letters is precisely to play with these metaphors that are very common in order to um, spin them in unexpected ways. And more importantly, um, also um, to, to use his own authority as a professor of medicine uh, to have a say in political matters. Plague and famine in the span of a few years, as everyone knows, usually cease. Since, in order to bring them to an end, there is a concerted effort, motivated by pity and fear for one's own safety, both among newly found friends and hidden enemies. Whereas, civil wars have a tendency to last for years and for centuries, so to speak, because both the former, the friends, and the latter, the enemies, either act for their own benefit or according to some scheme of theirs. Cabriana proposes prevention as the main remedy against civil war. As a physician himself, did he provide any analogies as well for the remedies to plague? Cabriana, like uh, many other doctors, um, uh, believes that, of course, the best cure to any evil is prevention. Um, but of course, uh, sometimes uh, it can be too late um, and uh, a prince cannot see the early signs of a civil war. And so um, there needs to be uh, some uh, solutions to be implemented. Mm -hmm. um, and there, um, uh, interestingly, Cavriana does not exclude violent solutions, but he says that uh, usually uh, these solutions uh, tend to backfire and on the, over the long term they tend to uh, weaken the kingdom. And so um, what Cavriana proposes is um, to work over the long term. He thinks that politics need to be um, understood uh, and practiced um, over multiple generations. I don't know if I'm very clear, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, to him, um, an immediate solution uh, to civil war and to uh, heresy in France is uh, not uh, viable. It's not serious. It takes a long time to heal from this kind of evils. And so, um, to Filippo Cavriana, um, the solution is toleration. You need to accept religious difference, at least for some time. And then he says, with time, little by little, 
um, the political leaders of the Reformation will um, um, progressively um, reintegrate uh, the true religion, the Catholic religion. So why does he think that? He thinks, in fact, uh, that um, the most important institution to help solving these conflicts is um, the princely court. Mm -hmm. And he thinks that if you exclude um, the nobility, uh, the Protestant nobility from the court, uh, and if you uh, do not give this nobility uh, some privileges, especially uh, fiscal ones, uh, they will think again about their religious uh, opinions. Um, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. And then there is another thing um, also that he says. He says that um, uh, another possible solution is to uh, organize marriages. That sounds bizarre from <laughs> But he says that. He says that if you organize marriages between Protestant and Catholic uh, noble families, Little by little, uh, what you do is to reconcile those two parts that seemed uh, irreconcilable. Mm -hmm. Sounds uh, original. Yes, it sounds original, but it isn't. It isn't because uh, Caveriana uh, here is actually um, defending um, uh, Caterina de' Medici's uh, policy regarding um, Uh, the wars of religion. If violent fevers seize human bodies, the wise physician tries with much diligence to remove unbalanced humors from them and to reduce them little by little in an equal proportion or symmetry, slowly, by using pleasant remedies rather than immediately evacuating them with violent medicine. Because if the doctor wanted to root out the inflamed humor, he would undoubtedly irritate it and could put the patient in great danger. We've heard in the passage that there were some violent fevers seizing human bodies, but what were the violent fevers seizing society, according to Cabriana's reasoning? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, actually, if you read the book, uh, it never says um, exactly what are those fevers about. Um, and of course, he does it on purpose. Uh, if you read his letters, though, he... Um, uses fevers for different, uh, for different things, actually. And what comes to my mind right now is that in a, in a letter, he, he talks about the, the hectic fever of ambition. Fevers, um, in this sense, uh, can be a passion of some sort. But it's rather diffuse, and he, he keeps it this way because Um, what he wants to emphasize is um, the fact um, that within society uh, you have uh, some uh, phenomena 
that are uh, uh, rather complex and that need to be uh, identified. Uh, and this is exactly what a doctor do with uh, fevers in particular. Uh, you know, today we associate fever with temperature. It's a symptom um, that we can measure objectively with, uh, with an instrument. But at that time, um, uh, fevers uh, are studied very closely. They are observed in the patient because uh, doctors think that fevers can tell you something about the illness itself. Mm-hmm. And there are very, uh, there's a, a wide variety of fevers um, identified in the manuals and the textbooks of medicine. And usually what doctors look at is um, at the pattern these fevers follow. You have, um, as I said before, hectic fevers, but you also have quartan fevers, tertian fevers, semi-tertian fevers. Uh, and each of these fevers follow a specific pattern. That is to say, um, for a quartan fever, for example, every uh, four days, um, you see that the fever reaches a paroxysm, a moment of, uh, of high fever, and then it goes down. And then after four more days, uh, it goes up again and again and again. So this is an observation of patterns. And I think what Kavriana tries to say here is that just like in medicine, if you are a careful um, observer of society and of politics and of human beings, you can notice also here uh, behavioral patterns that allows you to understand the deeper causes of a political phenomenon. Thank you very much, Clément. Thank you very much to our guest, Dr. Clément Godbarge, for breathing life into these sources today. And of course, thank you to Jorge for putting the episode together. So, Kaspar, what did you think? Very interesting. Uh, I was struck by how Cavriana's text really brings out the central theme of Renaissance uh, political literature, the kingdom state as a body. Uh, In that sense, the association between civil war, so a disease of the social body, and the plague, a disease of the physical body, really makes a lot of sense. Yes, and it is also interesting that Cabriana, who was a doctor, essentially uses his expertise to speak of things like politics that we would not necessarily associate with the medical profession, right? Though perhaps that has changed for us in the past few months as more and more we look to doctors, oh, yeah. right, to guide the steps of policy. Yeah, exactly. But, but that's just it, right, that uh, Cavriana's understanding of medicine and politics really structure each other. He looks at civil unrest as a doctor would, and likewise, he looks at disease as a politician would. True. Uh, and the connection between politics and medicine, I would say, is stronger than ever today. But one thing I would take issue with in Cavriana is his argument that the community will just unite to weather disease. If anything, our current experiences show that 
there are as many positions on disease control, especially by non-experts, as there are political ideologies. And sadly, in our case, the proper response to COVID-19 has been anything but agreed upon across the political spectrum. Yeah, that's that's true. I completely agree with you. Although, in spite of this myriad of responses and positions, I think that overall, uh, how we are dealing with COVID pandemic, I think it's really brought us all closer together. But let's hope that we'll keep learning and that divisions will fade. And speaking of learning, we have another interesting episode lined up for our listeners in two weeks. We will welcome Professor Jane Stevens Crashaw, who will talk with us about plague hospitals, essential workers, and lockdown policies in Renaissance Venice. Till next time, stay safe.